Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the In Lockdown With podcast with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is Callum Bruce Phillips. Hi Callum, how's it going? Hi Kieran, it's, it's going good, thanks, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks for coming on. How, it's my pleasure. How has this whole time of lockdown been for you this last kind of 18 months or so? Well, um... It's been crazy because I was I was in Aberystwyth when the first lockdown had happened and I think a day before lockdown was announced I had a feeling that it was going that way so I yeah. uh, visited my mum just so I could see her yeah. before it all shut down and I got my dog <laughs> from my mum Mindy Me so that she'd be able to spend uh, lockdown with me <laughs> so um, I think that's what got me through it the most mm. having my little pooch with me because it meant that I had to have a routine um, because I think for a lot of people there was that potential of kind of feeling like nothing was going on and finding yourself in that loop of just lying there in bed and not doing anything and that worried me the most (laughs) (laughs) getting stuck in that funk you know like structure kind of went out the window especially the early part of the when we were just kind of waking out how are we going to kind of function in this new normal, really? Well, it, it, it just meant that I'd wake up at reasonable times. Yeah. Like, the dog needed walking at, at least by nine in the morning, so it meant I was out of bed by nine. <laughs> <clears throat> and not, like, waking up at 1pm, mm. which is, you know, I could easily do every day, but responsibility beckons, so... I'm going to start by asking you the question I asked everyone first on this podcast I want to ask you how did you first get interested in theatre and the arts and what were your kind of early experiences like well I've always been a lover of attention um as the only boy growing up in House of Girls I always like to stand out um I always loved going uh doing like the Christmas shows in primary school so I went to Brennaman Primary School, and every year we do our Christmas show in uh, Brennaman Public Hall, the cinema. Oh, yeah, uh, I know. Yeah. Which is, if anybody ever gets a chance to visit Brennaman Public Hall Cinema, it's amazing. It's, um, it is, yeah. It's like a workman's hall. So all the local workmen in the area uh, had a fund and raised money together to build this cinema, and it's still got very much a lot of the old features, so proper like 1920s style. Um, so I have many memories of doing 
different types of like Christmas shows for school. So I always loved enjoying those. Um, I, all my sisters were very much into horses and horse riding and right. horse shows. Um, I was not. I tried it out for a couple of years, but it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't for me. So I often found myself just being at home and watching a lot of VHS tapes. I had a lot of videos. I loved mm. videos as a child. Um, my mum tells me lots of stories of her having to... The only way I was able to get to sleep was if she put a video on for me. So it was the kind no. of like, you know, classic kids TV shows that she used to watch that she got on VHS and gave to me and like Disney films. Yeah. And perhaps the one film that had the most profound effect on me, I think, as a child was uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory right. yeah. with Gene Wilder, oh, and, uh, which is the 50th right. anniversary this year. What is it? Little fact, yeah. yeah. And um, I've always been a big fan of Gene Wilder, but... The scene, you know the tunnel scene? When yes. they're on the uh, rowboat on the Chocolate River. Yeah. And, you know, there's no earthly way of knowing. That whole kind of, like, weird demonic scene. And Gene mm. Wilder's got these wild eyes. And you see, like, chickens having their heads decapitated. And <laughs> bugs crawling over people's faces. <laughs> but, like, even though this is obviously, like, terrifying to most yeah. children, I was just absolutely, like, mesmerised. Like, what is this? So I used to like rewind it and rewatch that scene like over and over again, just because I was just so obsessed. Were you kind of thinking like, oh, how have they done this? Like, kind of, or was it just, what is this? And just general question of what is going on here? Yeah. I think it was more of the what is going on here. You know, the kind of technicalities of film, I didn't become interested in until a lot later mm. in my life but it was just the kind of like what is this magic because that's what film is you know that's how it started out yeah. you know film editing was just an extension of stage magic if you look at people like George Méliès who were like pioneers of early cinema and you know um, kind of editing techniques and special effects um, mm. but yeah I was just mesmerised by the kind of like craziness of it and I feel like Gene Wilder's performance in that is just something that you never forget it's yeah. such like a he was such a unique actor and such a unique performer that I don't think anyone else can compare in terms of like trying to recreate it, you know? Oh, he's fantastic. He's one of but, the um, best, I think. And uh, how did you kind of find out about Mass Mass and how did you join Mass Mass? So, I, like I said, I, I was like, you know, doing my own little performances for my family or like, you know, making my own little stand-up sets. And it was, um, I think through my drama teacher, because I went to a school the Flanaman or Amma Valley yeah. School. And it was, I was told about this audition for, I believe it was a production of Click that Mess at the Mess was doing. Right. Yeah. I don't think it was their original. I think it was the... Uh, the following year when we... The second time we did it, was it? Yeah, the second time around. So right. I auditioned for that in the uh, in the lower school hall of a school the Fnama and Amman Valley. Um, and that's where I met Sarah Jones for the first time and she was pregnant as well right. with her first child. Yeah. So this is going back quite a few years. Um, I didn't get it. <laughs> to be honest, I was absolutely terrified and I had no idea what I was doing. So I don't blame them. But it then... Oh, well, doing the audition led me to find out about the Tuesday groups that they'd have in Bradamon, yeah. which is now in the Aloyd next to the cinema, but it used to be in the community centre. And I think, oh, I was about 14 
maybe 13, somewhere around mm-hmm. that age. So I'm 23 now, so yeah, nearly nine years ago. Oh my. That time is flowing. I can't believe that Click was 10 years ago. Like, it's unbelievable. I've just had like a feeling of like, I'm just <laughs> discovering time. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah. Um, Am I right in saying that one of your first shows would have been Heritage by Dav James? Yeah, so um, Heritage, that was great. So we did that as part of the National Theatre's National Connections mm. Festival. Uh, so it was a play by Dav James and it was called Heritage and I played a character called Tubsy and um, Tubsy gets a <laughs> I'm trying to remember back to it now it was a play I suppose about kind of authoritarianism mm. like nationality but the kind of dark side of nationalism jingoistic so, kind of like rhetoric and like how nationalism is used to kind of control young people in a way or, or turn them against each other. Yeah, uh, definitely. That kind of conflating ideas of being proud with yeah. ideas of thinking I'm better than everybody else because I believe this one thing and everyone else is wrong and I'm right. And whoever gets in, a market, gets in my way, you know, will be moved. Yeah. Um, a very powerful play, really funny as well. That's one part I remember about it, just like in rehearsal and like readings, just finding parts so funny. And then like one minute it was really funny and really light, and then the next minute with these very like somber and sobering moments. And um, we were very close to being able to perform at the South Bank. We, because the way National Connections work, as you probably know, is that you uh, show, um, do your show at a kind of regional level, Mm. and then you're selected or just uh, to go to somewhere like Cardiff, so like uh, a national level. Yeah, it was in the Sherman, yeah. And then if you're lucky enough, they choose you to go to the South Bank. From what I was told, we were very, very close. And in fact, what was so great about our group, we actually kind of fit the ages of the characters. Yeah. Because we were actually, you know, 12 and 13, whereas the other cast that were doing the same play as us were... 16, 17, or right. in college, some even yeah. older. So, you know, I, I always thought, looking back, how impressive it was that... And some of us, it was like our first ever proper production, mm. you know? So to think that we got that far, and to think that, you know, we were praised so much. Because I remember um, in the Sherman, because after everybody did their own show, we'd always have these kind of Q&A sessions. Yeah. And the older cast members of the other heritage productions you know had these very like well thought out and very lethargic answers and uh we asked questions like oh what did you name the cat because there's a cat in it that gets stained yeah Yeah, (laughs) i I remember that gets the cat stained it's quite funny because when i read it and it said about getting the cat stoned i thought as in throwing stones like (laughs) throwing stones like stoning the cat to death and not you know Yeah, it's 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 not a fairy thing for a cat one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was very confused, but yeah, um, yeah, it was yeah, it was a really good experience, and it kind of made me very much interested in like performing and putting on a show and characters. Yeah. And how did you kind of like transition between wanting to be a performer, wanting to be on stage, 
there's something that you maybe want to do clear behind the camera or backstage? Well, it started when I was doing my A-levels. So I did, in my AS levels, <coughs> excuse me, because my parents wanted me to do pharmacy. <laughs> so I did uh, chemistry and biology. Right. And because I really enjoyed English literature, I did that. Um, and then I did this thing called Aberystwyth Summer University. So it was a programme that basically took uh, eight, around 80 young people from all around Wales to experience university for six weeks. It wasn't exactly university-level work, but it was kind of the type of level where it was, we were able to comprehend the work that we were doing, and it was also done within like the university system, so not the type yeah. of grading that you experience in school, but the kind of, you know, like a first, a second, two, two, a third, that type of thing. And um, I did drama, and we got to choose about three different uh, subjects, and we got to do them over a course of two weeks. So I did three subjects altogether. So I did uh, English literature, drama, and film and TV studies. Right. And it was really there where I actually first kind of was introduced to the idea that you can study film in a kind of like academic way, you know, rather than it just being a piece of entertainment, you know, it is in itself an art form that can be interpreted and discussed and different theories can be applied to it. And, you know, film can have a profound effect on people and society. And that really interested me. Um, and like the whole idea of genre and how genre is very specific to, you know, nations and certain film markets and how that works and like, you know, was it? That, that, that's what got me interested in film, and um, was it yeah. was it a sort sort of thing of oh I didn't know I could do this, I didn't know that this was an option for me. It's only now that you've shown me that. Definitely, but, like yeah. um, it yeah, definitely because it was just like oh my god, this is amazing. Like I love film, and you can like you know have a career in writing about film. Mm making films and it just made it seem more kind of feasible you know working mm. within the area of film I hadn't decided whether it was going to be on like an academic level or like a practical level but I knew that film was going to be part of my life somehow part of my career somehow so that really helped me but with the ink because I ended up because I passed the summer university and I was offered an unconditional offer to study at Aberystwyth. Right. Because um, I didn't do terribly well at my A-levels, <laughs> given that I was doing two sciences and very hard subjects. So I actually ended up with only one A-level, right. a D in English Literature, which, you know, I, I got into uni. It was fine. I, I got a D in English Literature. We can both be proud of our oh, Ds nice. in English Literature together, can't we? But, but you got in... You got into Aberystwyth. And, yeah, that's another thing I discovered um, when I did the summer university course. I found the work there so much easier than the work I was doing at A-level. Because, one, it was taught me in a way that was kind of how I could understand, because the lecturers, yeah. you know, were very adaptable. Because we were taught by actual university lecturers, even though it wasn't an actual, like, you know, undergrad university course, there were still yeah. academics involved. And I just found them way more engaging than a lot of my teachers. Although my English teacher was very good. Shout out to Miss McNeil. 
she was a saving grace of my sixth form experience. Mm. She was amazing. But um, yeah, I just found the work easier, and I think it boiled down to me just enjoying it. And, yeah. Um, it makes yeah, it makes such a difference, doesn't it? When you enjoy, oh, it doesn't feel like work when you're enjoying something. And then you got into ABBA, you studied film studies and English Lit at BA level. What was the course like? And how did it prepare you for going into the industry? So, so yeah, I did a joint honours. So I did film and TV with English Lit. So it's not double the amount of work. It was kind of half and half. So half my credits were in film and TV studies and half were in English. So I had a lot more option than some of the single uh, study schemes. So my friends who were studying just pure English lit or pure film and TV, uh, the first year was very much kind of, you need to do all these because this is the level you need to be at before you progress to year two. But I had a bit more leeway, so I had a bit more choice, but I pretty much did the same amount of things. The Eng- I'll start with the English. I really enjoyed the English department. Such a lovely like group of people. And like I think there's a there is a stereotype but it also lays somewhere in truth of English lit students. They're just quite pleasant and it's <laughs> quite a nice environment. I found anyway. That yeah. was my experience, you know, very kind of open and very like liberal in like a really good way. And then I didn't always do great in my English essays, to be perfectly honest. I did okay, but it was film and TV where I excelled and actually, you know, did well. Um, Looking back, I wish I did drama instead of English as a joint on it, but there's there's always what ifs, aren't there? Yeah. um, But yeah, with the film and TV, what I learned, because I did a lot of theory as as, um instead of much practical uh, like I said I had a lot more options so I tended to go for the theory based kind of stuff because at that point I had this whole plan in my head to be an academic so you right. know I was just going to stay in university for as long as I could take as much free money from the government as long as I can you scrounger you <laughs> and, left uh, the academic scrounger grounding off the government yeah well why not you know if it's there <laughs> No, um, oh, I've lost my train of thought. Yeah, so I did a lot of theory. I did do some practical elements, so I learned about the kind of basics of filmmaking, so things like, you know, lighting, you know, setting up your camera, mm. white balance, you know, the 180 rule, different types of shots. So that really helped in that sense. But one thing that it did help me with was dealing with difficult people. Right. Because, unfortunately... In uni- although university settings are quite diverse and quite open for discussion, there is this kind of, and I'm sure a lot of like women in like university can attest to this. You do get a lot of cocky men yeah. who think they know everything and that their knowledge is all inclusive and yeah. that they are right no matter what. And you know, as like a, you know a gay sort of a feminine man, like I'm. I don't really, I always second guess myself and I always like to think that I kind of admit when I'm wrong and admit when I don't know things. So I felt that uni taught me very, it taught me how to deal with that kind of arrogance. Because no doubt I can probably be arrogant, but some of these guys on the course, like, you know, were just, you're just 
they were just cocky and just yeah. so judgmental and like had this air about them that you know they're I can't swear on this, can I? But that poo didn't stink. <laughs> you <laughs> can't, you can't, of course you can swear on them. Yeah, they, they'd act like their shit didn't stink, you know? There we and, go. Um, it was quite frustrating, because I had a friend on my course, a really good friend of mine who I went to some uni with, and, you know, she's like, you know, this petite blonde woman. Yeah. And there were some interactions with some of the male students, and they were just like, just take one look at her and dismiss her completely and make these comments and like, it was just crazy, and to think that we were in like you know the, the 21st century yeah. as these people. I remember this one time. It was an in- introductory to film studies, and we had this lecturer. She's still there, Kim Knowles, amazing lecturer. She curates the uh, art house side of the international, uh, the uh, Edinburgh Film Festival. Oh wow! Really engaging wow. lecturer, like amazing, I amazing person. And she was talking about um, this was introductory to film studies, so first year. So first semester stuff, and she was talking about the different type of theories that you um, encounter when you study film through an academic lens, and she was talking about feminist theory. And at that point, we were all, all everyone in my class was part of this big like first year group chat. And mm-hmm. as soon as she mentioned feminism, you get those like you know those kind of alpha males saying, "Oh, here yeah. we go," blah, 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 blah. and it was like, "Excuse me, do you not realise where you are?" The whole point of university is looking at different theories. Exactly. You may not agree, but don't just dismiss it because you can't be bothered. Like you know, and again, it's because them as you know cis hetero males didn't have to deal with the type of kind of pressures from society and like expectations society put on women and minorities. So yeah, did did, did that create an environment where you felt you weren't able to? That, that it wasn't a safe space, that you weren't able to share, that it wasn't oh, comfortable. On the contrary, actually, I think their attitude kind of encouraged me and others to kind of call it out. Because That's there were good. times where, you know, I, well, I would call things like that out and, like, you know, hold on a minute and question them because, and they couldn't really argue against that because, you know, they're the type of people who are like, oh, you know, the marketplace of ideas mm. and da, 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 da. <laughs> So the best way to counter that is play them at their own game and, you know, yeah. twist those kind of questions back at them and make them look at themselves in the mirror and like, well, you know, you're, you've got this attitude, but have a look at yourself. Do you know what I mean? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, like turning the mirror on them. But then yeah. again, I am, you know, a white, cis male. So mm. I hold quite a lot of privilege compared to others. So I felt I was com- I was comfortable enough to do that, whereas other people might not have because they wouldn't have felt safe. But That's a really good point. overall, my experience of Aberystwyth for this university was a very safe environment. I had a really good time, mm. and Aber in general was just a very like liberal place. You know, is quite left leaning. So yeah. there's you know a lot of acceptance, which you don't always find in rural areas, but then that's again, true. that's a stereotype yeah. in itself, which I think isn't necessarily true to Wales. I feel like there's something very, very different about Wales. Yeah. Even though, even though there are you know places in Wales that you know do hold some of these prejudices, at the same time there are the there are communities that are kind of fighting against that and are proving I, people wrong. I think that we are a more liberal country than most. Yeah, but obviously so, yeah. there's a way to go in certain areas. But I'm going to move on slightly. Yeah, sorry, I, I went a bit... <laughs> 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 I 
Um, a lot of your practice or what you've talked to me about in the past has involved certain competitions. I knew I was going to struggle with that one. I struggle with it too. Participatory filmmaking. So, can you explain a little bit about what participatory filmmaking is and what is your practice as a participatory filmmaker? So I guess an example of participatory filmmaking could be a participatory documentary. So that's where the, the subject of the documentary are involved with the process of the making of the documentary. So they're actively taking a role along with the crew and the director um, of kind of structuring the narrative that's being played on film. Right. So within the context of participatory filmmaking, it's I guess it's similar to the type of stuff we did with Mess at the Mess, so that kind of involving yeah. young people in the process of making this project or devising this piece of work just in the context of film. Um, I haven't had, I wouldn't call myself a participatory filmmaker yet, that's more of an aim. Right. But I have engaged in those type of projects and have had the opportunity to do that type of work. So although participatory filmmaker is the end goal, at the moment, my experience has more been with like kind of facilitating like mm. artistic projects with young people with the help of organisations who have hired me or yeah. employed me. Um, and that's the point where I am at, at the moment, just trying to kind of find as much experience as I can. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be working with young people, um, like any sort of like community orientated project I'm interested in and something that allows you to use the arts whether that be performing or filmmaking or you know dancing yeah. whatever to kind of create some sort of social change or to address some sort of problem that's how I describe participatory right. filmmaking that's really again interesting. So, so like what is the pathway for you from where you are now to becoming a participatory filmmaker well so to go back to my uni days yeah. I because as I mentioned I did Aberystwyth some university when I went to university to do my undergrad I had the opportunity to actually work on the project so the same right. way how I used to participate with Mess at the Mess and I became a peer leader as I got older <laughs> I did the same at university, yeah. so another kind of full circle moment. So, you know, I worked on two summer university uh, schemes when I was at university. Right. And it was with the department of, well, it's, it's, it's moved under a different department and its name has changed, but it was the Centre of Widening Participation and Social Inclusion. Okay. And it was run by a, well, for the 15 years prior to me being there, I say about 15 um, or maybe 10, I might be wrong, I might be getting this wrong, but when I was there, it was run by a woman called Dr. Deborah Croft, um, amazing woman, and a, another person called Hannah Clark, and honestly, the best bosses I've ever had, um, they were so committed to their work, because widening access is all about making university, well, in the context of university, is all about making higher education more accessible to people who wouldn't traditionally... Yeah or, you know, conventionally have that chance. So people from working class backgrounds or kind of 
people who were interested in subjects that were kind of gender dominated so like childhood studies for men and like mathematics for women that's yeah. it, that type of thing so that really influenced my kind of philosophy and like idea behind what I want to be as a well, what I want to be like as a participatory filmmaker because yeah. ideally what I want to do is just make the film industry more accessible and just allowing everyone from different backgrounds to kind of participate yeah. <laughs> as you were as you would <laughs> and kind of give them the power to tell their own stories because mm-hmm. I think now you know back in the 60s 70s you know a lot of television was very London centric and mm. positioned around certain classes in society whereas now you get a lot more kind of you know like or like Ken Loach films you know where it yeah. kind of that's the type of films I'm interested in the stories I'm interested in mm. the kind of everyday people and what their struggles are and what their life's like and it doesn't necessarily have to be like you know a tragedy like a woe yeah. with me you know this is my life it can also be something really empowering and really inspiring um oh, so that's, yeah that's my goal just to give people that power and like or wanting to give people that power and just know they don't have to do it but just let them yeah. know because a big part of the philosophy for Kupsi in the university, the Centre of Widening Participation and Social Inclusion, the end goal for some using wasn't necessarily just to get them to come to Aberystwyth and generate more money or necessarily go to university. Mm. It was just to make those young people know and understand that if they wanted to do something, that they could they do, it. do it. And, that's really and important. that those barriers stopping them could, could be pulled down so that they could do it and that they had the power to do it. And they were capable of doing it. And yeah, that's what stays with me and what I want to kind of do with my work in the future. It goes back to what you were saying earlier about not knowing that something, that you could have a career in something. And then someone tells you that you can do this. It really does empower you, I think. So it goes back. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, it goes back to Mess Up the Mess again. because I feel like a lot of what they do is giving young people the kind of knowledge and the power to be like, no, a career in the arts is viable. It is a thing that can be done and has been done. And it's something that's always changing and always evolving, and it's exciting. Um, Yeah, sorry, what were you going to say? And both me and you can attest to that, because of the support that most of us have given us. Not only young people, but to the early parts of our careers as well. Which brings me nicely onto my next question, which is about the Castros project, which you and I ran with Carrion Wilshire in spring of this year. So, for people who don't know, what was the Castros project? Yeah, lovely segue, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, me, uh, you, Kerry and Wilshire Davis, so Mess at the Mess approached us because they were offered an opportunity by Pontedawi Arts Centre to put on some sort of project involving the young people. So we had that kind of preliminary meeting and I think there was a general consensus amongst the three of us that we wanted to create a project that very much was centred around what the young people wanted to do. Yes. And explore what their interests were. So I 
think it was Kerry who came up with the initial two ideas. Mm. So either a project to do with a comedy project that would kind of hone in on what the young people found funny. Pardon me, sorry. Sad a bit. Um. Uh, and then there was um, Kafka, which would have been yeah. about the young people's ideas of home or what felt like home to, to them. And, and then we ran some taster workshops, didn't we? Yeah, so the first two or three weeks were taster workshops. I think we believe, I believe we started with the comedy mm. and then we did Cartridge and then we had another week of uh, like preliminary workshops because we weren't quite sure, we hadn't come to a decision yet. And what, well, in the end, we kind of infused the both together. So mm. I think Cartridge had a really strong uh, potential, I think. But we were still yes. able to include those elements of comedy and what the young people found amusing, which I think worked really well in the kind of funnel. And I think that was really important because we didn't alienate anyone. Everyone came yeah. on board with us. And there weren't young people who didn't turn up because they didn't want to do the character thing. I think we brought the young people along with us and really engaged them in the project. So, like, how did you find, because we facilitated weekly workshops on Zoom, what were the challenges for you facilitating on Zoom? It was, why I love working in like a space with people, like this goes back to the mess at the mess years of being in that big circle and doing these activities yeah. and playing these games, like you know, it's, it's easier to read a room as well. I think a really important job of a facilitator is kind of to to use a young person's word like a vibe check. You know, yes. you can very much read the vibe of a room and how people are feeling and how the workshop's going. Whereas on Zoom, it's just kind of like a sea full of these faces and squares, and because it's only one or two mics on at the same time, and like people are kind of. Not distant, but they're able to kind of like drop in and out yeah. of like focus. Whereas in a kind of group physical setting, when we're all there together, everyone is very much focused on what's going on at that time. Mm -hmm. Even though like Zoom has been very helpful, I think with facilitating and doing this kind of work and being able to continue yeah. with this kind of work, because I know it's been invaluable to us at the mess because it's allowed them to carry on. Oh, definitely, um, yeah. I do think there is a little bit of like that kind of like spark element that's missed by mm. not having in person group meetings. But that is a thing I know myself have started to be able to do recently. Um, obviously in a controlled mm. and safe way and hopefully once things go back to normal and scare quotes <laughs> to normal, they'll be able to, you know, do their, you know, kind of traditional weekly workshops inside like the pensioners yeah. hall in Ammonford or the Eyloids in Brennaman and uh, yeah I can't wait for them. And how confident did you feel facilitating those workshops and did your confidence increase as the project went on? It definitely increased over the time. At the start I was very unsure of myself and I was always kind of apologising. I remember that being something that I do at the end of every workshop. I'd be like, oh, sorry if I did this. Sorry I did yeah. that. And everyone would be like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. And I think that's what helped me was just the encouragement. 
and I think it was something Sarah that said to me, like, you know, you, you are good at what you do, you know what you're doing, like, you know, take pride in the work that you're doing, you know, you are good. So that mm. kind of encouragement really helped. And I, like I said, Mess of the Best has always been a very encouraging kind of element within my life, especially as a young person, you know, encouraging me to do things. And I think it was, yeah, like a, I did feel that type of imposter syndrome, if you mm. know what I mean. Yeah, I was going like, to ask oh you about God. that. Yeah. Like, sorry, I'm, was that one of the questions? Yeah, but we can we can do that now. So can you yeah. like explain that kind of? So I just felt like okay, so I'm in this setting with professionals. I'm working as a professional, a commissioned artist, and I'm being paid for it. And I just felt this kind of feeling that oh my god, I'm an underqualified person that, by the look of his bootstraps, got here, <laughs> and now it's like, oh my god. Because I, I did kind of feel like I was taking potentially taking up someone else's place. Right. That's how it felt at the start. And it, it, I was worried. I was like, oh my god, I'm going to be found out, and they're going to realise that I'm not good enough, and da-da-da-da-da-da. But then as the weeks progressed, and the project started to build up, and the kind of end, the end goal became a lot clearer. I grew a lot more confident in myself as a facilitator mm. and as an artist. Because uh, as part of Claptrap, as well as facilitating the young people making their own pieces of work, uh, me, you and Kerry and created our own pieces of yes, work. Yes, we so did. Yeah. Me and Kerry and created a video each and you wrote uh, monologues and dialogues. Yes, correct? that's right. Yeah. I always use the monologues that the young people then performed. Um, on the night showcase, and how how did you feel after the showcase? Did you feel like you'd really kind of achieved something? I I was so proud, and not just myself, just the young people, because you know they all worked really hard, and their work and their stories were just so like amazing. Like because um within the project, my area of ex- expertise were on the kind of filmmaking side mm. so work with young people who for example one young person wanted to make like a documentary about herself so yes. what she did was film her with her family members and <laughs> answer questions about her and it was just so funny because it was quintessentially this young person it was very much yes. them and their personality really shone through the video and then and another two young people did animations and one young person in particular hand drew this stop motion animation and it was amazing that was incredible that was it was very it was very impressive and like they had worked on this for like you know quite a while and you could see the kind of like dedication that had been put into this work and it was it was really impressive like way beyond my skill set i would say in terms of like that type of filmmaking because stop motion animation you know it's like once you get good at it you know it's a very cool skill to have, so I'm very excited to see where that young person goes with that skill oh, definitely. set. Definitely a young person to look out for. And then another young person did stop motion with Lego, which I really enjoyed. Mm. I love Lego, and that was really impressive as well. And obviously stop motion animation takes a hell of a lot of time, you know, because you're doing yeah. it frame by frame. So these young people work really hard, and I was just so proud of them all. Um, what was the question? Uh, and like, did you feel like proud of yourself after 
after the oh. show to what you did you to curate that that evening around me and, and carry on. Yeah, I was I was proud of us all. I think we really created something that was really from the heart. Mm. And I think that's what Mess at the Mess is very much known for. Like original devised pieces of art that yes. come from the young people. It's just we're not just picking a play from like a or picking something that's already been made and, you know, trying to recreate it. Everything that Mess at the Mess does is something new and something original. And I think that's the way to go when it comes to Definitely. like especially within the context of like youth arts work, you know. And then the young people feel a connection to that and they definitely. feel part of it and it gives them a voice as well. well. Oh definitely, like they have skin in the game so it, yeah. although a lots of the young people you know, in Mess and Mess do care, it kind of when it's your own piece of work and it's something you've worked hard on to develop and to devise, it kind of ups the ante if you know what I mean, it kind of, I'm lost for words at the moment. It, it definitely it's a different thing if it's yours and putting that out Definitely, there. Yeah. Putting it out there in front of an audience is quite nerve-wracking, even if you're oh, not a young person. But to see how bad they were after that showcase evening was one of the highlights for me. Definitely. It, it, was, it, was, I, it was lots of fun and it was so enjoyable just to see it all put together in it turn into this showcase and like all their family members were able to watch my mum and my dad watched it as well yeah. and uh, a couple of my friends spread across the country and I was getting these text messages during the show like oh my god this is amazing and really enjoying specific parts of the young people's work mm. and, yeah it was brilliant I think we should mention as well that we had me you and Kay and had workshops with um Elise Davison from Taking Flight Oh, yes. Tom Balance from, oh, I can't remember the name of the company. Learn About Film. Learn About Film. And Beth Ann Marlowe, who's been on this podcast, about working bilingually. How, how beneficial for you were those workshops as part of the project? I feel like definitely kind of approaching things in a certain way so I'd already had experience with filmmaking and how to make films and the kind of language that comes with filmmaking but what I found really interesting about Tom's masterclass was um, kind of giving young people the benefit of the doubt rather than mm. you know throwing these big complicated words at them and trying to explain these complex ideas you can really boil it down to the basics and make it simple, but at the same time not dumb it down because these young people do understand, like, you know, the fundamentals of storytelling and, like, you know, going from point A to point B. Do you know what I mean? And yes. that, like he said, you know, give these young people the benefit of the doubt that they do know what they're doing. It's respecting the knowledge base that they have and then building up from that. Exactly, uh, um, find out where they're at and then help them go towards their end goal. And, and use techniques to help them refine that and improve that. I think that's what I learned from him. And what, what I enjoyed about Tom Barrance's workshops as well was the kind of like cheap and easy ways of introducing young people to filmmaking. 
So he showed this is really good mobile app that's like free. One of the best kind of editing apps that you can get on your mobile phone that doesn't have a paywall. Uh, the N Editor. Little mm. shout out to it. Uh, it was just, and you know, for anybody who wants to do some sort of like participatory filmmaking workshop where the only things you have available are the mobile phone, like, you know, it was a really useful tool for being able to introduce that idea of editing to young people. And then another work masterclass we had was with Bethan Marley. So that was because part of when we were developing the project, we did want to try and focus on making it more bilingual, mm. the kind of processing of, of itself, as well as the showcase. And just those kind of like, it was all about kind of facing those type of worries or anxieties that comes along with working bilingually. Because obviously, in Wales, the idea of bilingualism and speaking in Welsh and speaking in English is a heavy politicised subject. Definitely. And it's and what we learned from that workshop is that you can't. There's politics in everything. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And you can't get rid of the politics or try and separate the politics. It all depends on your approach and how you are. So creating that environment where mistakes are celebrated. Yeah. So they're kind of like, you don't have to be grammatically correct in your Welsh speaking. It's about encouraging people just to try it out, to, to learn. To and use to feel it like they and, have. yeah, to feel like they can use it. And like you were saying earlier, that environment, a comfortable environment where they feel that they can use their Welsh. No, definitely. Um, and I've met Beth Amala before, and she's just an amazing person, mm-hmm. just in general. She's just lovely. <laughs> All the people that I've ever met through Mess at the Mess have just been oh, lovely. Oh, they've been amazing. And in one way or another have had a profound effect on me, so... I, I, I'm just going to plug that you can listen to my interview with Beth Amala on the previous episode of the Impact Diamond podcast, now available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Lovely plug-in. There we go. So, um, you're currently, talk about what you're doing now, uh, you're currently working as a curator for the 2021 Goyle Void Food Festival, where you'll be co-producing and filming a live gig as well as finding Welsh musicians to perform at the festival. What, what exactly is your, your kind of role other than what I've just summarised? So definitely more of a co-producer as opposed to a curator. More of like a co-production assistant. Right. But a lot of the kind of what goes into the live events and where it's filmed and how it's filmed is very much so it's me and three other people that are involved and we're all under one person who works for museums wales right <clears throat> and um it's and it's based on what they did last year in light of the pandemic they did uh recorded some live sets of musical artists and played it as part of their food festival that they generally have which would you know, obviously be a food festival along with other types of live events. But obviously with the pandemic, it's all been made digital. So last year it was done in association with BBC Horizons. Right, yes. And another group, which whose name escapes me at the moment, but this year it's being led by, they're called ACP, so Amdugva Cumbly Producers, so Museum Well Producers. Yeah. That's the literal translation. So it's basically like a network of young people 
and not necessarily young people, but just like um, people emerging in their careers or just starting out. Um, and it basically gives them an opportunity to do work through the museum and to be able to yeah. have these like paid opportunities. Uh, so I had recently become an ACP uh, because because uh, Kerryon Kerryon Walsh Davis works as a youth engagement officer yeah. for Museum yeah, Wales, yeah. specifically the Swansea Waterfront, uh, based in Swansea. Um, if you didn't know already, <laughs> it's in the name, isn't it? And um, she was the one that really got me involved, and I was able to have the chance to have yeah got the chance to for this opportunity. So we're in the kind of planning stages at the moment. We have, I won't reveal too much uh, because we haven't made uh, the final decisions, but at the moment we're getting together the artists. So mainly we're focusing on artists who are based in Wales, that would be very important, but also trying to balance it between people that have had exposure and people that haven't necessarily through the kind of conventional channels had as much exposure so kind of really trying to find the balance and also trying to balance it between north and south because one thing you do find in wales is that within the arts there is a lot of attention on south wales especially like the cardiff area or the areas surrounding cardiff so that was an important part of the decision making when deciding artists to book was trying to make sure we had a kind of representative lineup that was representative as Wales as a whole as opposed to that kind of like south centric you know bubble that often happens it's not necessarily like a bad thing but I think it's good to reach out to those other communities in Wales because I feel like as a country like just in terms of infrastructure North and South are cut off, you know, there's no complete train line. No, we need it, you know, and anything that brings people together throughout Wales, I think is really important. So I'm really excited to see what you guys end up doing. Yeah, it was was a really cool opportunity, I'm really excited. If there are any musicians or bands out there who want to get involved, um, what do they do? Well, the way we approached this was by doing our own research of who we knew right. and looking out who's out there. So we have approached people to be part of the uh, the kind of festival. So it's not so much a kind of application. There's no application okay, process right. to it. We've reached out to other people. But you never know. This is uh, speaking to the organisers. This is something that they do want to develop and to kind of... I don't know if I should be saying any of this. I don't think I've given too much away, so I think I should... I definitely... Um, um, but, um, yeah, there's definitely something they want to carry on, so that is something that can definitely be considered and I think would be great, especially if we establish ourselves, you know, and establish this event mm. as something that's ongoing. That could definitely be a potential thing that we could do. But um, we shall see. Like I said, we're still doing the planning, so it's very early days. Please keep me updated because it sounds like a really exciting project. Oh, I shall do. You're also also currently involved in the Trastnowid project, exploring queer and gender non-conforming people in Welsh history. Um, Again, 
what's the project about really and what has your role been? So I'm mainly involved in the project as a participant. So it's one of it's a project that Kerry and Wilshire Davis is running as part of her role within Museum Wales, specifically being based in Swansea Waterfront. So it's just a kind of at the moment we're like eighteen to twenty five, like group of young LGBT people from mostly around Wales, but there are a couple kind of dotted in places like Bristol and yeah. the border. And like you said in the little introduction, it's about kind of finding that connection of queer, for queer people with Welsh history and looking at kind of queer Welsh historical figures and kind of bringing them to the forefront. Um, it's also about just meeting up and like yeah. chatting. That's what I really enjoy about the group because we meet around every two weeks and uh, we've had workshops and discussions. Uh, we had a really interesting uh, talk from Noria, Norina, I don't know if I'm saying, Norina Shopland, who's an academic who's okay. talked about gender non-conforming people throughout history. And what she was talking about was trying to trying to find materials about kind of queer and gender non-conforming people throughout history. Because obviously a lot of the language we use nowadays, so like, you know, cis or transgender or, you know, gay, bisexual, those words are very much a, 21st, a 20th century type of vernacular. Okay. Whereas beforehand, you know, it didn't really exist. Because these are words that we've come up, you know, fairly recently within the context of like, you know, historical time you know only in the last century so when you are looking at trying to find like you know those figures within history you have to kind of change up your language and yeah. kind of speak the way people spoke back then so that was a really interesting talk like, uh, just like interacting with archives and historical documents and how you navigate those that was really interesting and i guess some of that is now not what we'd say is politically correct Am I right in thinking that some of the terms we might not think of as PC now? Yes and no. I think it's more, it's less of, I guess some of the terms that are used historically would be offensive nowadays, but it was more just because their comprehension of gender kind right. of is so narrow, like historically. So like terms like men dressed as women, women dressed as men and there are, I can't remember off the top of my head but there are other keywords that you can use when trying to search these type of like archival materials that predate the 20th century um so yeah and like you know as humans we're constantly changing the way we speak and interact with each other so mm. that is part of the kind of like I guess the practice of researching history just you know and like Marina said to us you know you've got to think about the past as a you know a foreign land so to speak you know people do things differently yeah. there like we can't apply the same sensibilities and morals that we have now to the past we have to try and look at through it through a different lens because their existence the way they existed and the way they perceived things are completely different That's to how we see things nowadays yeah and like you know an advantage of that is because we have information privy to us which back then people wouldn't you know if I want to find something out, I can Google it. You know, back then people yeah. would only know what their kind of their life allowed them to know. If you know what I mean. Mm. 
So the most educated people were the people with the most money. And now you're able to kind of educate yourself. And it doesn't matter. Obviously, there are some, you know, barriers in the way in terms of education and being able to kind of get that knowledge nowadays. But it's way more accessible compared to years ago, if that makes sense. Definitely. And and for this project, is the end goal to make a piece, to make a performance? What are you kind of building to? So... In the next, in this week coming up, actually, we have a few workshops, which, um, so my role, as well as being a participant, I've been doing some filming and editing. So we have some workshops coming on in the, in the next, in the next week or so. So one is kind of like, um, queer LGBT badge making, patchwork making, which should be really interesting. There's a queer life model workshop so drawing a life model um so we went to the waterfront museum with a life model uh, they weren't nude <laughs> very tasteful and basically it's for this workshop so it's kind of you know drawing and mm. learning techniques and then uh we're doing a trout snowed cabaret so all the cool. top participants uh similar to car trip in a way we all had this theme of kind of like welsh our connections to Wales as queer people, like LGBT people, yeah. as well as being Welsh people, and making these videos surround that, um, around that, and like ideas of pride and all those different kind of themes. So I can't remember the date off the top of my head. I'm gonna quickly find it so I can tell you. But yeah, it was, it's been lots of fun. And like I said, I've been working with Kerryan. And she herself is an amazing facilitator, and I've really enjoyed uh, working yeah. with her and participating in the project. And we also have um, things happening in November, so it's kind of there's a continuation. So this project is lasting all the way up to March next year. Oh, fantastic! So at the moment, now that we've done our Trousnoid video cabaret, our little showcase. So yeah, each participant has created their own piece of work through the form of video or film um and now we're in our meetings we're starting to develop and discuss ideas for what we want to do for the rest of the project so we had a meeting last week i believe or the week before uh discussing what we wanted to do next and um i'm not going to give anything away but it sounds very exciting and i'm really excited to see where the project goes i i it was great as a LGBT person myself because when I went to university I knew queer and LGBT people but my core friendship group were very much kind of hetero cis yeah kind of I was the only gay in the village if you know what I mean right. <laughs> in my village of friends if that makes sense so it's just nice speaking to other LGBTQ plus people and being able to you know chat and gossip it's nice that, to was, be... that was really fun part of that community I guess and feel a part of something I suppose oh definitely like um, sorry I'm just trying to find the dates for this yeah it's yeah that was the biggest kind of kind of profound feeling like yeah that was the best thing about it for me anyway was just meeting more queer Mm. people and especially queer people who have these interests and have these aspirations to have a career in the arts as well, because yeah. it's a great kind of networking opportunity as well. 
because one of the workshops next week is a puppet making workshop and as part of that we did some filming in the national waterfront in swansea yeah. and actually made a little puppet show through video oh, uh, which cool. i'm actually in the middle of finishing editing at the moment cool so all i've got to do is put the credits in and then we're all done and it's it's just great it's just such yeah. a great piece of work and i've had such like fun being part of it so yeah it's been amazing the last thing I want to ask you, why you find that link for us, just to round off this podcast, is to ask you what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in the industry? Ooh, be confident. Yeah? Just have confidence in yourself because, you know, we all have to start off somewhere and... You don't have to know everything. I think that's one thing I had to kind of, I had to learn, was that you're never going to know everything. Life is all about constantly learning things and developing your skills and developing your ideas. So just because someone else seems like they have their shit together doesn't necessarily mean that they do. They're just really good at making it seem like they have their shit together. <laughs> So if you don't have all the answers, you know, it's not the end of the world. No. That's that's the whole that's how we kind of develop as people. You know, you're gonna constantly learn. So just because you haven't arrived at the place you want to be doesn't mean that you've failed or you're not successful. It just means you're on a certain part of your journey. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And just and one thing is make sure you enjoy it. Because mm. that's when I worked on the summer university, you know, a lot of the young people were very similar to me they wanted to do one thing but they were being pushed in another direction because they were told it was the most financially viable option for them or it was mm. you know the best place you know the best subject to get jobs in but if you don't enjoy it then what's the point yeah because the I last thing you want to do agree. is find yourself like you know in a dead end job well not necessarily dead end but just in a job that you don't like or enjoy yeah. or doesn't like spark joy you know in you and you know I would rather be poor and happy than miserable and rich I completely agree I think it's so important to be passionate about what you do and you so are and you proved that today and I really want to thank you for your time and for coming on because it's been brilliant Talking it's my to pleasure. You. Can I can I quickly give you these links and give you these dates? Yes, please. So if you go to the National Museum Wales website and type in Trousnewid, that's T R A W S N E W I D. So there are different events going on. So we have bear with me just one second. So yeah, on the thirteenth of July we have a Pride Patch Making Workshop. And that's, um, the booking is limited numbers, so do book now. Um, it's free, and that's taking place on the 13th of July at 7pm. And we also have, I'm just going to read through all of them, if that's okay. Yeah, okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, Bear with me just one second. Yeah, so the Queer Life Drawing, that's on the 14th of July, uh, 2021. And then our Trousnowid Queer Cabaret Night, that's the, uh, that's the big event. Uh, that's on the 15th of July, 2021 at 7pm. So it will be live broadcasted 
once you've booked your ticket, you'll be sent a link closer to the date, so you'll be able to watch uh, the cabaret. Um, and that's suitably more for adults, cool. so kind of 16 plus, and it's about 45 minutes long. But yeah, so Trow Snowed, Museum Wales, T-R-A-W-S-N-E-W-I-D. An expert piece of marketing from my guest today, Callum Boothworth. Thank you so much for coming on. It's just been lovely to catch up because it has been a while. Um, but that's, that's about all we got time for. Um, but I will see you on the next episode of In Lockdown With, where my guest at the moment, I think, is going to be the writer John Tregenna who's a playwright and screenwriter, so, but until then, it's goodbye from me, and it's bye-bye from Callum. Goodbye, 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 Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.